you got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, um, follow along in your outline, follow along up on screen. John chapter 8 is where we're going. Uh, we're in week number 3 uh, of a series called House Party. And this series is all about us celebrating um, the goodness, the greatness, the provision, and the protection of God in his house. What God is doing in us and through us, and, and really um, celebrating that. Um, let me say this, back in November-ish, um, I kind of listed out all of the series that we were going to do for this year. Um, I've been here for 10 years. Um, that's the first time that I ever did that. First time I've ever looked at the year ahead and said, here's the series that we're going to do, and here's the messages that are going to be in there. Um, for the most part, uh, we have followed that plan. Um, there was one series um, a couple months ago that I took out. Um, we're going to flip it into, into another point, um, take some of those messages, put them somewhere else. But for the most part, followed the plan. Um, but as I have been working on this series in particular, things have changed a little bit. And mostly that's because of some of the changes that we're growing through here at Central Church. Um, I told you a few weeks ago, about some next steps that our staff are taking in their walk with Jesus. And that's something to celebrate as God continues to use them in their new roles or as God calls them to transition into different um, um, areas of life and different ministries. Um, God's going to continue to use them all in big ways here at Central. And so we're celebrating the next steps that they're taking. But as a church, as a whole, um, we're taking next steps as well. And, and that's how it should be. Like, we should always be about making progress. I mean, none of us really want to go backwards, right? I mean, that, that's true spiritually. Um, it, it's true individually as well. Like, like, like let's think about things that, that we used to have that we don't really want anymore, like mullets. I mean, how many, how many men in the room would, would just be honest that, that back in the day, this, this is grown men, all right, adult men, all right, how many of you would admit that back in the day you had a mullet? How, how many? All right, a couple. Very few men will admit that they had a mullet. I did. I had one. Now, people always ask me, after every service, where are the pictures of this? I know the pictures exist. Pictures are never coming. Neither of my kids or my wife are in this service right here. Do not ask them to have my mom send you a picture of Ryan with a mullet. It's not, like, it's one of those things, like, you see it, you're never going to get it out of your mind, and it's just, it's horrible. But I had one. It was long. It was flowing. And, and my friends convinced me to do a curly perm in the back of it. Now, listen. Back in that day, back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, only jerry curl was like the only thing you could get for men. So we did that, and everybody laughed at me, and none of my friends followed through, so I had to shave it off. It was awful. Now, I know amongst teenagers that mullets are making a comeback, but really, kids, like, really, they ain't cool. Like, they're just, they're, just, they're just not. Like, nobody likes them, which is probably why my son is trying to grow one right now. But nobody really likes one. If a grown man came in here right now with a mullet, first of all, we would say, welcome to Central, right? Because that's, that's what we do. Um, then because we're church people, we'd make fun of him behind his back. Um, but so you laugh because you know it's true. Shouldn't be that way. This is a church that's okay to not be okay, even the mullet man. But we wouldn't welcome mullet man to church, but none of us would say, whoo, there's a dude who's all about progress, right? It's the same thing with like music. If I took you out to my Jeep and I said, man, I just got a new Jeep and you got to check out what's inside this Jeep. And matter of fact, you got to listen to this brand new song. And I pulled out an eight track. Some of you don't even know what an eight track is, 
Right? I was talking to my kids the other day about music, and we were talking about cassette tapes. And honest to God truth, Chloe said, is that one of those rectangle plastic things you used to listen to? Yes! Like, she doesn't even know what it is. She barely even knows what a CD is. Like, for real, how messed up is that? That all of our music and everything is on, like, our phones now? It's crazy. But, but, but let's, say, let's say we went outside, and we got into my car, or we got into your car, and, and, and we're listening to an 8-track player. Like, nobody would think, like, this is a person who's embraced the future, right? Now, now those things, when we had them, when they happened, when, when they were going on, we, we appreciated them back then for, for the most part, but, but none of us want those things back, mullets included, right? We just, we just don't. Now, that's the way it is in my walk, and hopefully and your walk with Jesus. Um, and just to let you know, I hope that Central is a place where you can attend and belong, but you'll always look back on your times here and celebrate. And I hope that one day when you step into eternity or, or you, you leave here, people relocate and move, so you move and you go to a, another church, anything like that, I, I want this to be a place where you can look at your time here and you can look at this season of your life and say, you know what? I grew in my relationship with Jesus during that time. I didn't go forward, or I didn't go backwards. I, I went forward. I want this to be a place where it really is okay to not be okay, and you understand that it's okay to take your next step in your walk with Jesus. And the reason I say that is because sometimes our next step is messy. Sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes it doesn't look good. Sometimes people don't celebrate that next step. But I want this to be a place where we always, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what's going on, when you take your next step, we celebrate and we party in the house because of next steps. Because we're being obedient to what God has called us to do, what God wants to do in us and through us, right? We should always celebrate that. So I want this to be a place where you and I, where we can grow in our personal walk with Jesus, I don't want us to step backwards. As I look back over my past 23, 24 years and my journey with Jesus, I've taken some steps forward. I've taken quite a few steps backwards, um, but overall I've taken more steps forward than I have backwards. And, and so overall I feel like I've made progress. And I want this to be a place where you feel like you can make spiritual progress as well. Now, with all that in mind, I want to share with you a story out of the Gospel of John that I have planned to preach for weeks. And, and listen, this story fascinates me. If you're from a church background, this story is very familiar to you. Um, in the Bible, you've got four Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called, um, they're the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. Most of the material, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is the same. That's what that means. Um, 80 to 85 percent of, their, of the information in those Gospels is the same. But John shares some stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't share. He gives us some insights, some, some glimpses, some snapshots, if you will, into the life of Jesus that we don't get from the other Gospel writers. And this story is one of those stories. And again, listen, if you're from a church background, I get it. You've heard this story. You don't want to hear it again. Um, but maybe today, Maybe you see it a little bit different. Maybe you hear it a little bit different. Maybe it just, maybe it becomes more real to you today. Um, because like I said earlier, when, when I set this series up, I sort of had a brief outline um, of where we were going in every week and every message. Um, but a few weeks ago, as I was getting week number one ready, I wrote down um, I wrote down a bunch of stuff, like things I want for Central Church. And I wrote down 15 things. It was 15 things that I want for our church. Um, I had 15, 
but the Baptist in me um, narrowed it down to five so I could preach. Um, this week, though, I went through those notes, and I'm like, man, these things are so good. And so today I'm going to give you three more. Um, I'm actually only going to give you two more. Um, one is a repeat from week one, um, but it's super important. I think that one is going to eventually um, be an entire message all by itself because I really, really, really think we need to hammer that home. But anyway, today, um, these are three promises that I'm going to make to you um, or I, I don't know, as your, as your lead pastor of, of this church, like, like these, are, these are three things I'm going to promise you that we are going to fight for and that we are going to champion. And the reason why is because ultimately, like I said, I want this to be a place where we all grow in our relationship with Jesus. And so here we go, John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning. Now we're going to come back at the end and we're going to talk about that because that's huge, gigantic. Don't forget about that. Early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Now, hold up. Anytime you see that phrase, teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, go ahead and just start running some horror music in your head. Or, or like the, the theme music to Jaws. Because that's what this is. It's a shark attack. Like, it is, like when these dudes show up, it is never good. When, when the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, when they show up, nothing good is ever going to happen. So they show up, teach the religious law, the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught. Everybody say caught. Caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Caught in the act of adultery. Everybody knows what that means, right? Like, I don't got to bring out the flanograph and show everybody, right? Like, we get it. I don't need to put boy over here, girl over here, start moving them closer together until you, like, freak out, right? You know what that means. All right. Now, let me kind of say this and make a comment before I move on. Religious people always select certain things that they're going to be against and certain things that they're going to stay silent about. Like, religion always discriminates against the people that aren't doing what the religious claim to be doing. Point in case, religion right here chose to condemn one person, but not the other person. Like, like how do you get that? Like, where's the man? Seriously, have you ever read this and thought that? Where's the dude? Why did he get away with it? L listen, I'm no biologist, but last time I checked, it takes two to tango, right? Again, Say yes, because I don't, I don't need to bring out the flanograph and show you. You know what I'm talking about. See, religion is selective. It, isn't it funny? Like, man, I know religious people that will look down on people for cussing, but they gossip. They look down on people for struggling with sin, but they struggle with pride. They look down on, I know, I know people who look down on people who are gay, but they are highly addicted to pornography. I know people who look down on people because they're addicts. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, listen, church, we have to be very, 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 very careful because if we're not careful, we'll slide into selecting certain sins we're against, certain sins we hide, and certain sins that we want to champion. I'll keep going because maybe you don't like that. Verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught 
in the act of adultery, the law of Moses. Now, here's what's crazy. This is how arrogant religion is because they're, they're quoting the word to the word. Like, Jesus is the word of God, yes or no? Yes. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So here's the word. All right, they're, they're quoting the Bible to Jesus, which is amazing to me, because when I read this, I read it maybe different than you do. I can just kind of see Jesus kind of nodding his head, saying, I know, I know, I know, I know. I wrote it, idiots. Shut up. Let's quit. Like, but he didn't say that, but he kind of plays along. They're quoting the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses the first, is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Most of the men in that society, now women, didn't apply to them because women weren't allowed to go 2,000 years ago. They weren't allowed to go to school, just the way that it was. Um, but most of the men went to school. And during the first 12 to 14 years of their schooling, they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Law of Moses. They had it committed to memory. One of the things the Law of Moses was called was the way, the truth, and the life. Have you heard that before? You know anybody who ever said that? Jesus, right? Jesus called himself that, John 14. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They said the law of Moses was the way, the truth, and life because they believed you actually achieved life by living out the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, there are 613 commands. And so that's what you had to live out to achieve life, which is insane. So they show up and they tell Jesus, the law of Moses said to stone her. And you know what? They were right. That's what the Bible said. The Bible said they should kill her. And so then they asked Jesus, hey, what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? Because, hey, Jesus, look right here. The law of Moses says, by, by the way, anytime somebody's coming after you, especially from a religious standpoint, they've always got a verse, don't they? Always. Do you know that you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say? Do, do you know that? And can you believe that there are people who will actually twist the scripture to make it say whatever they want to say so that they can prove a point and so they can take a certain stance on a certain issue? Anyway, we'll probably do an entire series about that sometime, but here we go. Verse 6. They were trying to trap it. This always makes me laugh. Anytime that this happens, like there's multiple times in the Bible where it talks about people trying to trap Jesus, try to trick him. And I'm always like, how do you trick Jesus? Like, I don't, hey, Jesus, how many fingers am I holding up? Like, he, he just knows. Anyway, again, I probably read it different than you do. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him because that's what religion does. We've talked about that just in this series. Religion always tries to keep you in bondage. It tries to trap you. It tries to hold you down. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. Hold up. Can you see this scene in your mind? Standing over Jesus. He, he's down there and he's, he's writing in the dust. And they're just like, answer me. Answer. Why won't you answer me? Like demanding. Quick question. Do you think when these guys actually, like when they died and they actually stood in front of Jesus, like when they're up in, in heaven, like, do you think they had like a, oh, chocolate ice cream emoji moment? You, you think they had that? Like a, oh, dang, Jesus, man, I, I'm so sorry, man. Like, oh, that whole demanding the answer thing. See, what, what you don't know, Jesus, what you got to understand is there, there were people pushing me. They were saying it, and I just, I didn't want to be left out of the crowd. So, Jesus, like, I'm so sorry for that. Jesus, can you, for, like, that was probably their attitude, right? But they were so arrogant, so arrogant. And that's the thing with religion. Religion is always arrogant, and religion always demands an answer. 
Here we see these guys demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right. Now, when I, I think when he said, all right, he probably paused. All right. And everybody was happy because they get to kill somebody. And by the way, let me say this. When somebody is happy and celebrates over another person's struggles, that's jacked up. That, that, is, that is messed up. When you can celebrate the sin of another person, you can celebrate the fall of somebody, when you can be happy and you begin to gossip and you begin to talk about the demise of another person, another individual, that is messed up. And listen to me, church, when that happens, the Bible talks about working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I think it has a little bit to do with stuff like that. Maybe there's times we need to look in the mirror and we need to check ourselves before we start celebrating the demise of somebody else. That, that's probably for me as much as it is for anybody else in this place. All right, here we go. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Now, I, I want to pause real quick because I think we've had this backwards. For, it's me. I've had this backwards for years. Notice the punctuation. There's an exclamation point right there. Jesus said this with some boldness. Jesus said this with some authority. He didn't say, oh, you know what? Let he who's never sinned throw the first stone. He didn't say that. He was straight up in their face. All right, but let the one who has never sinned, that person could throw the first stone. Exclamation point. Verse 9. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accuser, I love, I love, I love, I love this translation. I love this word right here. I love how they, I just love it. Accuser. Because in Zechariah chapter 3, Satan is called the accuser. And so the accuser there is tied to Satan. But right here, the accuser is tied to religion. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away. Kind of like a, a snake slips away. And Satan appears as a snake in the garden in Genesis. Anyway, there's all kinds of imagery here. It's awesome. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Verse 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? There's that word again. It's in Zechariah chapter 3. It's, here it is. I just, to me, I think it's just awesome how it all just kind of fits together. It's crazy. Um, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And anybody in this place ever felt condemnation? You ever felt condemnation from someone? Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? But watch what she says. No, Lord, no. Now, now, this phrase right here, this, this is huge. This is so cool. This is the only person in the crowd that actually recognized Jesus. Because when the religious leaders and the Pharisees show up, they call him teacher. Right here, she calls him Lord. So the most religious people, don't miss this, the most religious people in the passage missed it, and the most sinful person in the passage got it right. You know why she got it right? Because until you understand you need amazing grace, you'll never see it as amazing grace. But once you understand that it's been given to us, we can't get over it. It is absolutely amazing. No, Lord, I just love that. I love it, I love it, I love it. Those two words, the religious leaders, are shouting out all of these accusations. And she just spoke two words. No, Lord. No. No, Lord. She got it right. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, remember what I just showed you? I told you about the exclamation point? There's not an exclamation point right here. Don't miss this. 
there, there's a period going. See, see I, I, I've heard people teach on this for, for, forever. And I've heard pastors say that Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's like, that's not what this passage says. I think it was more of a, well, neither do I. And then he kind of smiled a little bit and said, go and sin no more. In other words, this wasn't like punishment. It was permission to step into a brand new life. Basically, essentially, Jesus was saying, hey, girl, you don't have to live this way anymore. I mean, what happened, happened. But you don't have to live this way anymore. And he gave her permission to step into a brand new life. Now, all of that, to give you three promises I want to make to you as a pastor of this church. Three things I want you to know about this environment and about how you and your family, your kids, or your future kids can grow in their relationship with Jesus. Number one, we will always choose to celebrate you more than a stance. I know I said that in week number one, um, but it's so, so, so important. i got to make it again. And again, we're probably going to do an entire message just on this point right here. Um, we will always choose to love and celebrate you more than a stance. Let, let, me, let me kind of explain it like this. Um, I'm, when it comes to the NFL football, I am a Colts fan. I'm a diehard Indianapolis Colts fan. Now, there are not many Colts fans in our church. We have Bears fans. We have Vikings fans. We have Packer fans. We have Chief fans. For some reason, we have Cowboy fans. Um, but don't woo. No. Okay. I'll let you have your moment. Is it over yet? Is it done? <laughs> And just because I'm a Colts fan, like, I, I don't limit the people I hang out with to just Colts fans. I, if I did, that would limit my friendships, right? You, you see where I'm going with this? Like, I, I, have a, I have a strong stance on being a Colts fan, but just because I, I have that stance, I don't, I don't not, not talk to other people because of it. It's the same thing in the story that we just read. Jesus did not, in, in fact, I, I, I'm going to use this Andy Stanley quote again. I know I use it a lot, but I just love it. It's so incredibly true. Jesus liked people that were nothing like him, and people that were nothing like him actually liked him. Like, that's the environment that we want to create here. Because, like, right now, where I'm at in life, I'm 47 years old, all right? I don't got time for certain things anymore. I, I've, got, I've got strong strong theological convictions, all right? Probably stronger than they've ever been. I've got strong moral convictions, probably stronger than they've ever been. But I am not, I am, I'm, I'm just so far past this and so far away from this where I'm, I'm not gonna draw a line in the sand and say, unless you believe what I believe and behave like I be behave, you can't be a part of what we're doing. Church, that is arrogance at its best. But, but some people some people draw lines, and we fight over the dumbest things. Case in point, a while back, somebody, somebody called up, and, and they're like, hey, man, came to your church this weekend, um, yesterday, and I uh, want to be a part of what you're doing there. Can I come and talk to you? I got some questions. I'm like, sure, man, come in. Come and talk. Let's, let's, let's see what you got. Um, he came in, and um, this is the very first question that he asked. And, he's, and he said it almost just like this. Pastor, I got a question. I need to know something right now. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? I was like, oh. 
He's like, you know what I'm talking about, the tribulation, the end times. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I need to know what you are. I'm like, I, I, know, I, know, I know what the tribulation is, man, but like, I didn't even preach about that yesterday. I guess anything about Jesus coming back. Why does it matter? And, and this is what he said. He said, I need to know so I can know whether or not I can buy into you. We ain't selling no Ryan around here. Like, we sell a whole lot of Jesus. Like, you don't, please, 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 please don't buy into me. I don't need you to buy into me. And so we kind of went back and forth on this thing, and, and he's just kind of going off and off and off about this end times thing. And he's, finally, he's like, I need to know what you are. And so finally, I was like, man, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you. I'm paying trib. He said, what? I said, I believe it's just all going to pan out in the end. Jesus is going to take care of it all. He didn't think I was very funny. Um, I thought it was super funny. I can't believe I came up with it in the moment. So I started texting all my pastor friends. I'm like, hey, man, next time somebody gets on the, the trip thing with you, just tell them this. They all thought it was funny too. Do, <laughs> do we have to agree on the tribulation to be friends? No. Je- Jesus, Jesus said nobody knows the hour or the time that the Son of Man will return. We, we, don't, we don't know. We, we, don't, we don't know. Here's what this church believes. Jesus is coming back. And we believe that because Jesus said he was coming back. And you know what? We don't know when it's going to be, but we're going to live every day knowing that Jesus is coming back. We don't have to agree on the when or the how or anything. Jesus, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus chose to love people. Like, he, he chose relationship over the rules. And here's where I'm really going with this. Um, I'm going to say that. I probably shouldn't say this. I'm probably going to get in some trouble for saying this. I'll get some pushback on it, but, but that's fine. This is the, the controversial statement um, of the message this week. Um, in a way, if you want to get technical, Jesus chose a relationship over what the Bible said. He did. He, he did. Now, before you get all crazy, before you start walking out of here, let, let, let me ask you a question. Did the Bible say this woman should be killed? Yes or no? Yeah, come on, everybody play along. Did, did, did the Bible say she should be killed? Yes or no? Did Jesus have her killed? No. And, and, and listen, listen, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. What I just said, some people that don't sit well. I get it. But I know people who have been told you can't come back to church because you're divorced. You can't come back to church because your son's gay. You can't come back to church because you're an addict. You can't come back to church because you're struggling with it. This is a place, listen to me, this is a place where you can show up no matter what. And we will choose a relationship over the rules every single time. L- listen to me. I believe what the Bible says. I do. I do. But, but you know what? I also believe that Jesus could have walked around in his earthly ministry and he could have been like, no, no, stop it. Knock it off. I know what you did last week. I know what you did last summer. I know what you did 10 minutes ago. I know what you're thinking right now. You are nasty. Stop it. Knock it off. And you know what? He would have been right. But at the end of the day, if Jesus would have had that approach to ministry, he would have made a point, but not a difference. And I believe one of the biggest reasons that the church has lost so much influence in today's culture is because we've been obsessed with making a point rather than making a difference. You say, well, Ryan, you're just saying you can do anything that you want. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's not at all what I am saying. 
But Jesus, Jesus let a woman who was caught in the act of adultery go. Translate that into your own life. He let me go. He let you go. So that's the promise that we're going to make to you. And that's what we're always going to have. We're going to choose to celebrate you over a stance. Number two, we'll celebrate safety over shame. We'll always choose to celebrate safety over shame. When I, when I was in school, I'm talking all the way back from kindergarten through high school. Um, when I was in school, they, they were allowed to paddle students. Anybody else? Anybody? Now, I will not ask who here um, ever got to experience the school paddle, um, but I'll go ahead and let you know. I don't know how many times I could put hands up. <laughs> and, and back in my day, just so you know, when you got a paddling in school, when you got any type of trouble in school, you couldn't come home and complain to mom and dad, and mom and dad would call the teacher and tell the teacher how horrible of a person they are because little Ryan never makes any mistakes. No, they didn't call the teacher. They give you one, too. At my house, spankings were on sale. I got a two-for-one special. Every time I got one at school, I got another one at home. Now, I could tell you all kinds of paddling stories, um, but there's one that has stuck with me for over 30 years. We had a teacher, I went to public school, and we had a teacher who was a Christian, and she was holier than thou in everything. Like, you got in trouble for saying darn or oh my gosh or whatever. And, and, and the worst thing about a paddling from this lady wasn't the paddling. Like, the paddling wasn't that bad. That's physical pain. You can get over physical pain. Suck it up, Sally. You'll be fine. It's, it's cool. The worst thing was the prayer that she would pray for you before she paddled you. I remember her taking me into the vice principal's office, right? It's me and her and the vice principal. And she grabbed me by the hands, and she said, let's pray. And I was thinking, okay. I, I thought maybe she wouldn't go paddle me, and she prayed for me. Like, I, I didn't know. And she says this, and, and, and this, this is honestly God the truth. She's, she's like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. We thank you so much for Ryan. But right now, we just pray that his heart will be broken. And that you, Jesus... Will forgive him his sins because because of his actions, he has nailed you again to the cross. I just ate glue, lady. Like that's all I had done. <laughs> Have you ever been shamed during a prayer? Please, God, forgive them. They don't know how sinful they are. I'm like, by the time the prayer was over, I was thinking, can you just beat me an extra time? I mean, just wear me out. Because I could take the physical beating, but what you did is going to scar me for the rest of my life. Case in point, here I am 30-plus years later telling you about it in a church. She'd probably say, it worked. Look at that. Jesus got a hold of his heart and saved him. Shame. All of us in this room have felt shame. We've all had to deal in some way, shape, or form, or fashion with shame. The lady in the story got caught in the act of adultery. Maybe this was a setup. We don't know. Some people, some people argue that this was a setup. They were trying to set Jesus up so they could trap him, all of that. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to argue that. Most scholars believe, though, that this woman was dragged naked through the streets, thrown in front of Jesus, naked. I would be willing to bet you that this woman was like, 
oh, please kill me. Just please kill me. Because if I'm dead, I don't have to live with all this. If I'm dead, I don't have to live with the shame. If I'm dead, I don't have to live with the regret. If, if, I'm, if I'm dead, I just, I don't, it's just, I just please, please kill me. Shame has silenced more people and set them on the sideline than just about anything else in the world. But Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus chose safety. Because everybody's saying, hey, she should be killed. She needs to be killed. And Jesus actually set her free. I want this to be a place where it's safe to admit, this is who I am. There's some things that I'm struggling with. I'm, I'm not where I need to be. But, and I know I have some next steps in my relationship with Jesus, and I want this to be a place where it's okay to take them and not be shamed for it. By the way, I'm not who I need to be. I still struggle in my relationship with Jesus, and I pray that I can continually take my next steps in this environment. C can you imagine what would have happened maybe in your own life if there would have been a safe place that you could go and say, hey, this is who I am. This is, who I'm, this is what I'm struggling with. And instead of getting pushed out, you got brought in. Instead of pushing you away, we said, you know what? How can we come alongside you and help you take your next step in your walk with Jesus? At the end of the day, I really, 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 really do want this to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. But it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to say, hey, this is who I am. I'm struggling. And I need to take my next steps. Which leads to the last point. We will celebrate progress over perfection. We always choose to celebrate progress over perfection. Um, last week we were out of town and I was in a hotel and I was flipping through the channels and Rocky was on, like the original. Like I know there have been like 800 of them or whatever since then. But, but, and, and, and we all know in the Rocky series, Rocky Four is the best. I get it when he beats the Russian. That's like the greatest one ever. Um, but this was the OG Rocky. It was the original. And it was towards the end, and, and, and so I stopped to watch it because it's such a cool ending. I told you a month or so ago that I just love great endings of movies. And, and Rocky, the original Rocky, is, is one of the best. I still get kind of choked up every time because at the end of Rocky 1, Rocky doesn't win the fight. Now, if I just spoiled that for you, shame. Shame on you for never watching Rocky. See how that works, shame? Anyway, Rocky doesn't win the fight, but, but through the, the whole movie, all he wanted to do was go the distance. Like, that, that was his thing. He wanted to go 15 rounds with the champion. If you've seen it, you know in that last round when he gets knocked down by Apollo and he's crawling to his corner and his trainer's yelling at him, stay down, stay down, and, and he's just, like, he just gets back up, and Apollo can't believe it. Like, he's blown away that, that Rocky still has some fight left in him. As I was watching that last Last weekend, it, it hit me. That's what a walk with Jesus is supposed to look like. Because listen, I've been in the church world for a long, long time now. I've seen people, maybe you've seen these people too. They receive Jesus, and within two weeks, they're completely different. They don't drink anymore. They don't smoke anymore. They don't cuss anymore. They walk on water. They memorize the Bible. In like a month, they're just doing tons and tons and tons of stuff. And we see that. We think that's everybody's journey, and that hasn't happened to us. And so we just kind of sulk back in to doing what we used to do and thinking that we're just not good enough to be a Christian. But you know what? Everybody has a pace, and everybody's pace is different. Most people I know, if we're honest, they're kind of like Rocky. They just get in the ring, and some rounds we win, some rounds we lose. But the common denominator is we all get back up 
and we fight one more round. That's what Christianity is. It's not like being like a Mike Tyson and knocking somebody out in 30 seconds. It's the willingness to fight. As the Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It's the willingness to fight till the end. Now, I've heard people say this, and, and you've heard it too. Well, if you're a Christian, you wouldn't fight with those things. I say because you're a Christian, you fight with those things. If you weren't a Christian, there'd be no reason to fight to begin with. And so at the end of the day, we will choose to celebrate progress over perfection. And you say, Ryan, where do you get that in the text? It's very simple. Jesus is talking to the woman, and he told her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest. Do you think, do you think when that woman left that conversation, do you think she never sinned again? Yes or no? No. But you know what? She had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And in this meeting, she definitely took her next step. We can't say anything else about her. We can just say she met Jesus, she got it right, she moved forward, she wasn't perfect, but she made progress. And that's what I want for every single person here. We meet Jesus, we get it right, we move forward. If we get knocked down, we get back up. An encounter with Jesus, get it right, and move forward. 15 rounds until he takes us home. Now, I told you that we'd come back to this. This is what blows my mind about this entire encounter this woman had. At, at night, when, when she was doing what she did, when she's like, when she's like diving into sin with like both feet, she, abso- I mean, she absolutely chose to do the wrong thing. Right? Choose to sin, choose to suffer. She is sinning, right? While she was sinning, Jesus could have pushed her away. He could have isolated her. He could have turned his back on her. That's not what we see him do. While she is sinning, Look what Jesus is doing. Back, go back to verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, while she was sinning, right? Early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Don't miss this, because I think this is huge. While she was on her way to condemnation, Jesus is setting up a roadblock that will change condemnation to celebration. Because she recognized who he was in her life. So, I don't know what you walked in here with today. Maybe, maybe you're feeling the weight of the world. Maybe you're feeling condemnation spiritually. Maybe, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're trapped in a certain circumstance or a certain situation. Maybe you, you feel like you have fought this week and, and you've lost the round. There's good news. Just like the woman in this passage, she realized, you know what? Jesus is a way maker. And when she was caught, when she was accused, when she was trapped, do you think that that, that, that Jesus, do you think she thought that Jesus was working in her life, yes or no? No, absolutely not. But even when we don't think he's working, he's working because he's a way maker. Even when we don't think he's moving, he's moving because he's a way maker. And for her in this passage, she realized Jesus really is a way maker. Even in an improbable circumstance where she was going to be condemned, the way maker came and set her free. And if he did it for her, he'll do it for us because he is a way maker. And that is something to always be celebrated in the house of the Lord. Let's stand and sing this song together.